You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. And welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comics from all eras. I'm your host, Wes Deadairnipe. We're about to start the thrilling conclusion of our series of Mars Attacks Attack from Space that we've been reading over the last few weeks. In this story, John Lehman has written us a tale about a bunch of Martians that crash land on Earth in the 1960s, one of whom is sold to a carnival by a couple of hillbillies. And his crewmates try to bust him out, and they all die in the process. Zar himself is gravely wounded, and then eventually escapes. And he plots his revenge with a full-scale invasion of Earth in the present time. Now, throughout the invasion, Earth seemed pretty much doomed, but within those instances of global invasion, there were people who stood out and fought back. Buck Spencer, the decorated war hero astronaut, and now U.S. Senator, protecting the President of the United States from certain assassination. Sidney Rose, a carnival worker who had a flea circus for decades and who was present the first time Tsar ever crash-landed on Earth, who then used the alien's own mutagenic technology to grow his trained fleas to the size of houses which he rides and attacks people with. And Zyokotl, the Aztec warrior who, as we learn in a series of flashbacks, was abducted hundreds of years ago by the Martians and kept in stasis. This also reveals an interesting bit of trivia, that the Martians themselves have been victims of human violence throughout the centuries. Regardless of what intentions the Martians originally had, humans always, 100% of the time, end up killing them. It raises an interesting point about who truly is the aggressors. Do we instantaneously think that the Martians are evil because of their saucer eyes and huge brains and skull-like features? The fact that they're attacking us seemingly for no reason, but Tsar has a deep-rooted revenge and the Martian people have been victims of the human race for years and years, over generations. Maybe they feel it's time to snuff out the violent human species once and for all. But it does seem to be a series of misunderstandings. Humans' natural fear and misunderstanding of the alien creatures, and perhaps the fact that the Martians aren't all that great at diplomacy. We see a bunch of humans basically just trying to defend themselves. You can see it from all perspectives. I mean, we, as the readers, are humans, so we naturally would feel more sympathy towards the human characters in this book. But I don't know. Let's see how this series ends, and we'll see what conclusions you guys draw. But without further ado, I give you part five of Mars Attacks, Attack from Space. Words and letters, John Lehman. Pencils and inks, John McRae. Colors, Andrew Elder. Edits, Denton J. Tipton. And of course, this is a collaboration of Topps Trading Cards and IDW Publishing. We open 
to a troop of American soldiers running in terror as a tank is blown up by passing by flying saucers. It's night, but the sky is illuminated orange through fire and explosions. The caption reads, They said it could never happen. Another large panel. A swarm of giant bees. A giant robot walking through crumbled streets among Martian troopers wielding their ray guns. A squadron of flying saucers is behind them. The very idea was ridiculous. Impossible. A school bus explodes while humans run for their lives. Even offensive. And yet, what if Mars attacks and the humans fight back and win? And here we have a page with a series of these tops trading card-like things. One a soldier with a bazooka shooting down a flying saucer that reads bullseye with a bazooka. One where a giant robot is crushing aliens in its giant hands and using its ray gun from its singular saucer eye blasts away at a flying saucer. And this one reads, a robot reprogrammed. We now have a card where... One of the Martians' eyes is impaled by the American flag. This is probably a throwback to what actually happened with Buck Spencer and the U.S. president. An assassination averted. And finally, amongst a burning school bus is a young child with a bow and arrow. He fires off an arrow and it hits one of the Martians right in the face. And it reads, a kid strikes back. So what would happen if the humans were to fight back and win? We now have the close-up of a Martian's hand holding a metal sphere about the size of a grapefruit. The caption reads, And so this was created. A caption of the same device with a massive explosion, blue energy billowing out from it, capable of doing this. We see the sphere being illuminated by a single point of light hovering in midair while a bunch of the Martian scientists are surrounding it. We see their glass domes, but we can't make out any features. Only the bright red goggles that beam through the glass bowls can be seen. The caption reads, The Martian Science Division created it for the planetary forces only to be used as an absolute last resort, intended to be used only in the highly improbable event of an imminent Martian defeat. And now we see Zar, his green and gold armor, shining in the fiery light of Earth as he steps down from his flying saucer, his red cape billowing in the wind. He has the doomsday device in one hand, a laser gun in the other. Attached to his hip is a sword. And the caption reads, Not by a mad Martian general, intent on revenge on the humans at any cost. So we now know that Czar, even though he's the Martian general, is acting on his own accord and not Martian high commands. A card across the page, we see Buck Spencer, Zayu Koltel, the Aztec warrior, and Sidney Rose, the flea circus ringmaster. The card reads, Three Against the Martians. We see Buck Spencer and Sidney Rose riding atop these giant mutated fleas, which is a very strange sentence I never thought I'd say. The caption reads, The old astronaut met the aging circus man some days ago. He'd seen the president to safety, a secured bunker, along with the president's most important advisors. And he was given a mission. 
one last mission for the good of his country, the good of humanity. We have Buck Spencer here, still in a dirty, torn shirt, shaking the president's hand. And Buck, there's a good chance you're not going to survive. Buck Spencer saluting the president with an American flag billowing in the background. He's got a stern, grizzled face. I don't care, Mr. President. I'll do it. Charles Buck Spencer, decorated veteran, former astronaut, U.S. Senator, savior of the president, and perhaps even the world. We see a shadowy G-man handing Buck Spencer some files. He was given folders, files, disks, all the top-level information the president's men were able to assemble on the Martians before the communications grid went down. We see the file here. It says, Top Secret, the Nova's Vera, for your eyes only. Then, Buck was told about a secret organization that spent years preparing for this dark day, the Nova's Vera, and where to find them. Buck Spencer now, with a gun, crawling through the wreckage of what was once Earth. It would be a difficult journey. Now Buck Spencer, a look of surprise on his face, surrounded by Martian ray guns. It didn't take long for Buck Spencer to find out exactly how difficult. Three Martian troopers are closing in on him. One of them shouts, A close-up panel of Buck Spencer's face. So this is it, huh? This is how it ends? Well, go ahead. Buck Spencer, with a crazed look on his face, holding his gun, clenching his free hand into a fist. He shouts at the aliens, Go ahead and vaporize me, you blasted, pug-ugly, green so-and-sos. What the hell are you waiting for? But the aliens aren't paying attention. No, the Martians, all looking over their shoulders with a shocked expression. And a giant flea chomps down right onto one of the Martians, devouring his entire upper body, Blood and guts go everywhere. One of this giant flea's claws are puncturing the same Martian's thigh. And riding atop this flea, Sidney Rose. We now see that there's other fleas. One of them is grabbing another Martian's head, pulling its head out, its spinal column ripping out of its body with it. Another flea entirely bisecting one of the Martian troopers. His upper torso, arms and head flying in the other direction. Sidney Rose, smiling, extending a hand to Spencer. I'm Sidney Rose. You looked like you could use a hand. Now the giant flees, hopping off into the sunset. Buck Spencer, Sidney Rose, riding on the same insect. The caption reads, And then there were two. We now see a long sliver panel of Tsar walking amongst Earth, his cape blowing off into the other panels he's holding that doomsday device the caption reads it had taken him half a century but general czar would finally have his revenge a flashback a close-up of czar's face as the carnival ringmaster cut a knife down czar's eye that would leave him with a permanent scar they'd scarred his face one of his martian crewmates getting blasted in the torso killed his friends Zayukotal escaping from the Martian mothership, humiliated him at his post, even stole his personal shuttle. A close-up of Zar's clenched teeth, and so Zar left his post and stole the Science Division's doomsday device and came to Earth 
Zar would ensure the humans pay, even if he had to leave the entire planet a blazing, smoldering ruin. That was just about the same time Sidney Rose and Buck Spencer found Xyukotl. We see Buck Spencer holding that giant weapon that Xyukotl had taken with him that the Union soldier who died on the mothership told him to take. Sidney Rose is helping Xyukotl to his feet, and one of the giant fleas is waiting, watching. Sidney says, Josh, what in blue blazes is an Aztec doing in the middle of all this? Spencer says, Danged if I know, but take a gander at this gargantuan Martian hand cannon he's got with him. We see among the wreckage, looking down at the scene of the three men and the giant fleas, Martian troopers are closing in. The caption reads, While a Martian patrol was rounding a nearby corner, we see Zar holding the doomsday device, closing in on the Martian troopers. And the proximity locator to Zara's stolen saucer alerted him he was close to his quarry. Double splash page. On one, we have Zar holding the doomsday device amongst Martian troopers. On the other page, more Martian troopers with one of the giant Martian robots. In the corner, we see Spencer holding that giant gargantuan hand cannon that the Martians have. Sidney Rose pointing his hand towards the threat with a giant flea behind him. The caption reads, Against these odds, there was no hope for the humans. Nevertheless, Sidney Rose was determined not to go down without a fight. Shake him! With that command, as Sidney Rose points, it's actually a really good image. Sidney Rose is such a flamboyant-looking dude, just giant polka-dotted bow tie, pencil-lined mustache. He's balding, his hair wild in all directions, his shirt now bloodied and ripped with these giant fleas behind him. One of the giant fleas, after he yells, sick him, jumps out, killing multiple troopers, decapitating one, stomping on another, impaling him through the chest. A close-up of Zar's eyes watching the carnage. Zar watched as the humans exacted Martian blood, watched, and waited. Spencer, with this giant alien hand cannon, is blasting away as Xyukotl has one of the alien swords that glows with blue energy behind him. The robot is struck at its center mass, and it goes flying, this hand cannon doing a number on it. It looks like, at the very least, it has taken the giant robot down with a big quam. As the robot crashes to the earth, it kicks up dust and rock. The Martian troopers scramble to get out of the way. Zayukoto decapitates another Martian trooper, and with the blade's momentum, kills a second in one swipe. Zar didn't particularly care about his fallen brothers. He only cared about his revenge. In a close-up panel of Zar's eyes, we see his finger pressed down on the doomsday device. Where he presses, a green circle starts to glow. The device has indeed been activated. The Martians now fighting back, the two giant fleas getting blasted by alien ray guns. It looks like they're down for the count. Sidney Rose is struck by an alien ray gun in the torso it looks like it might just be a flesh wound, but he cries out in pain, starting to go limp. Spencer gets the butt of an alien rifle to the back of the head, hits the ground hard. Xyukotl gets shocked by one of those electrified Martian pikes. The caption reads, 
when the surviving Martians regained the upper hand, as they inevitably would, Zar stepped forward to ensure the revenge he'd been after for so long. We see Xyokotl on the ground, still recovering from this shock that he had just received. Three Martian troopers have their guns trained on him. Zar is stepping forward, holding the Doomsday device. He holds up a hand, informing the Martians to steady their weapons, but not to fire. Ang, ang. But Zar pulls out his ray gun and fires on the Martian troopers. The three of them vaporize instantaneously. One of them barely is able to speak before it dies. This revenge would be his and his alone. The smoke clears, circling around Zar as he steps towards the fallen men. He wanted to stare in the eyes of his enemy so they would know exactly who was responsible. We see Sidney Rose is clutching his abdomen. Blood is just pouring out. Sidney Rose looks up at Zar, tears in his eyes. Zar stares down at him cruelly. The caption reads, While they suffered, when their civilization crumbled, Sidney says, No! The caption reads, And their entire planet. Sidney rising to his feet, grabbing one of the alien swords that's glowing with blue energy, probably the same one that Xyokolta was using. He says now with authority, No! Zar seems surprised. Now, raising the sword above his head, Sidney Rose looks like he's ready to attack Zar, and he shouts again, No! He swings the sword down and strikes the Doomsday Device, almost completely splitting it in two, but not enough force to do so. Zar looks down at it, a close-up of Spencer, as he also looks at the Doomsday device. Green energy is crackling in all directions. And then suddenly, boom! A panel of a massive explosion, but not so huge that the Earth has been destroyed, but the immediate area has taken heavy damage. We now see smoke and energy twirling around a massive crater we can see thrown from this blast one of the dead flees buck spencer crumbled on the ground he rises slowly his torn shirt now basically just ribbons a massive gash on his head from where the martians hit him with the butt of their gun he can barely focus zyokoto ah. his hair singed cuts and blood all over his body tends to Sidney Rose, who miraculously survived the explosion, but he also looks in pretty rough shape. His clothing torn, he's still bleeding heavily from his torso. Sidney moans in agony. Spencer says, You okay? Not sure about okay. Alive, anyway. Barely. Looking weak, Sidney Rose looks off at the destruction. What do we do now? A close-up of Spencer just a panel showing half of his face, blood pouring from his head, down his forehead, and over his eye. We get out of here. There's a group of resistant fighters, not far away. They'll be able to help us, and I have some information that might help them as well. A panel of the large alien hand cannon lying on the ground. And they might appreciate that big Martian pea shooter too. And maybe directions to that saucer. We see the crashed saucer that Xyokotl had taken from Zar, Zar's personal ship. We now have a panel, Spencer triumphantly holding the massive gun, Xyokotl 
holding up Sidney Rose the best he can. Sidney says, I, I'm not doing so well, Buck. I don't think I'm going to last too much longer. The three men walking away in the sunset. In the foreground, one of the decapitated Martian heads. This glass jar broken, a large portion of its brain missing. Spencer says, Nonsense. You're going to fight this thing and hang tough and you're going to make it. We're all going to. Epilogue. We have a panel of Zar. He's unconscious. A large gash in his head, bleeding profusely. His right arm and leg are completely destroyed, as well as a good portion of his hips and torso. Standing over him, the boots of Martian troopers. Ang, ang, ang. They found Zar some hours later, miraculously still alive. The Martian troopers are now holding the doomsday device that has been split in half. It's badly damaged, but there's enough of it that they know what it is. I mean, they did know that he took it, or that it was stolen. They retrieved the stolen doomsday device as well, damaged in mid-activation before it could build to its full detonation pulse, and now clearly beyond repair. It was obvious that Zar was responsible. Zar holding his head is now coming too. He seems confused, but says nothing. One of the Martians looks down on him. Now, the flying saucer taking off into outer space. And so he was brought back to Martian High Command. Where? For retrieving the doomsday device, the escaped human had stolen. For stopping its cataclysmic detonation. For risking life and sacrificing limbs and for saving Earth in order to ensure a Martian victory. Zara was awarded the Villistrum Mark IV Ceremonial Blaster by the Martian Supreme Regent, the highest possible honor for a member of the Martian Planetary Forces. And indeed, this is a splash page of Zar at the Martian High Command. We can see that he is kneeling before the Supreme Regent, and the Supreme Regent is dressed in purple ceremonial robes. He's got like a high back collar that almost rises up past his head. He looks pretty cool. And in this glowing orange energy, we see this ceremonial blaster hovering. And amongst them, we see Martian council members who are all dressed in red robes with feathery and spiky collars that all rise above the backs of their heads. Zar is kneeling in deference and holding up his hand. We can see here that his arm and leg have been cybernetically enhanced. More than enhanced, replaced. We now see Zar getting put back together, essentially. We see him out of his uniform, and we can see that his entire right leg is being basically rebuilt from the ground up. It's now a cyborg leg, and it attaches to his torso and his arm is yet to be rebuilt. He is surrounded by Martian scientists, and one of them's got a big old, looks like a soldering gun almost, and he's just adjusting Zar's hip joints, it looks like. Zar seems to be conscious for all of this, too. The caption reads, The robotics department of the science division supplied Zar with cybernetic limbs to make up for what he'd lost. A close-up of Zar looking at a Martian trooper as the Martian trooper salutes him. The caption reads, he was promoted to Fleet Admiral, and in the years, decades, and generations that followed, 
Zara was remembered as one of the greatest heroes of the Martian attack on Earth. And we can see a bunch of young Martians and their teacher looking at a holographic projection of Zara. Uh, presumably as this is either in a museum or this is part of their daily schooling. We see Zar walking on the bridge of the Martian command ship, walking away as troopers go about their business. The caption reads, Only Zar knew how close to true victory he'd come. Only Zar knew how he'd been defeated and humiliated by humans. A close-up of Zar's face. He seems to be contemplating something. Again. We now see Zar standing by himself, looking out a single porthole of the alien ship. And so, even as the invasion continued to unfold, Zar watched and remembered his vow. He would see the humans suffer, their civilization crumble, the entire planet in ruin. Maybe not today, but someday. We now see what Zar's looking at. The Martian fleet and Earth, and even if it took him another half-century, he would have his revenge. Finn, and Mars Attacks, Book 1. And there you have it. That is our thrilling conclusion to the first book of Mars Attacks. I would really love to know what you guys think of it, and, and where do you side? Do you feel that the humans are innocent in this alien invasion? Do you feel as though Zara is justified? He did crash land on Earth, and he was captured and was going to be sold and this was indicative of what the humans had done before his crewmates were killed and he vowed revenge the humans do have a right to survival but i think as you could probably guess i side more with czar now czar did disobey high command and i love that twist at the end that czar basically got away with it and not only got away with it but got promoted blame the whole thing on Zayu Kotal. And then in his dark, quiet moments, he knows that himself. And so what you have here is a really great way of a villain losing something who's not in absolute and total command of the Martian invasion, but who has a lot of power and also a lot to lose. But it's, it's just a really smart way to write a villain and also very sympathetic. I mean, I don't think that there's anyone that couldn't relate on some way to what Zara would be feeling and I th really think that John Lehman here has really done tremendous work in trying to make it more about Martians just invading a planet. I mean, yes, that has to be a major component of it. Fucking stories called Mars Attacks. But you also can't just have, well, Martians are just this evil alien force and they're invading humans because, you know, whatever. And they're evil because, I mean, look at them, really. They look hideous. I like this idea that they do look hideous, they do look violent, they do look savage in a way, but, you know, they almost feel completely justified in what the humans have done, and there was probably, it's taken this long to do it because of the fact that there would have been a lot of deliberation or whatnot on the planet. Anyways, if you guys are interested in reading further, there is more to this story uh, that if you ever guys, if you guys ever want to check it out, but that is going to do it for Mars Attacks for Panels of Blood. Now, next week we are going to be jumping back into Tales from the Crypt. We're going to be doing a little interlude before we get on to the next big story, and that's where I need you guys. I need you guys to hit me up on Twitter, at WesDeadAirNipe, and I want you guys to tell me what comic books that are horror-related that you'd like me to tackle in the future. Now, I'll be putting up lists and, and, and surveys and shit like that 
in the interim to, to see exactly where your guys' headspace is at. But until then, I just want to take an opportunity to thank Rick Hunter for the use of our intro and outro music. And I'd also like to thank Chris Begarin for his wonderful art for the podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And as always, we'll see you next week. I'm Wes Deadair Nipe, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.